Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Judy Stevens. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Angelique Rocher. Okay, ladies, we've all gone through some kind of reinvention in our lives, right? You know, it's what keeps things interesting. Absolutely. Interesting is a really nice word for you to use, Judy. I, I think that's <laughs> exciting, nerve-wracking. Great on the other side. <laughs> so much better on the other side. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've done, you know, a, a, a full reboot, relaunch every, you know, average of five years or so of my adult life. You know, moving across the country, different jobs, different things, different supporting casts, like all the things. You got to keep it fresh. That's what comics has taught us. I mean, look, man, everybody has their moment. Every I think five years is like the perfect time though Ellie I think like five every five years it feels like that's like the moment that folks like reevaluate look at themselves and kind of make a shift whether it's hair color or moving across the country or getting another cat Judy because that's a commitment we all have went through some changes during the last couple of years right you know we went from all being in the office and seeing each other to working from home continuously still working from home wearing masks which I am still doing when I am out and about places like it's interesting how we go through these changes and then very quickly they just become our new status quo you know one of the amazing things about reinvention is along the way you learn new skills you learn how to adapt and all of those things can only make us stronger you know but really no one does reinvention better than the Marvel character Jennifer Walters aka She-Hulk Okay, that's fair. Our favorite green lawyer has had to pick herself up and start over so many times. Yeah. Jennifer Walters is Bruce Banner's cousin, and after receiving his blood in a transfusion, she transformed from a mild-mannered attorney into the super-powerful She-Hulk. That's totally right, Ellie. And her first appearance was in 1980 in The Savage She-Hulk Number 1, written by Stanley himself. She has a law degree from UCLA, plus superhuman strength, and She-Hulk has been both savage and sensational. This is true. She's also like a lot of S-words. Like She's sassy. Um, she's smart. She's very savvy. I mean, I can go on. She's pretty great, man. One of the things I love about her, though, is that she's funny. She's a character who is so completely above reproach that you can have her be quirky and funny and it doesn't feel like you're making fun of the character because how could you possibly? And she's a really good friend. Yeah, she's such yeah. a good friend. She has so many female friends within the universe, which I think is so important. Like, they're always fighting crime and saving the world, but, like, sometimes... You just want to chill with your girlfriends and like, you know, dish about things happening in your world. Okay, so we're going to start our She-Hulk journey uh, going back to the 90s, a decade after her first appearance when sensational She-Hulk was being written by John Byrne, colored by Glennis Oliver, and edited by the incredible Renee Wittersatter. Renee herself has an incredible remarkable history of working in comics and not only was Renee an editor she's also a character you mean in a comic book yep that is something that artists sometimes do for their favorite editors so John Byrne drew her as herself which you can see for yourself on Marvel Unlimited okay 
So it's time to get into my interview with Renee. Well, Renee, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. Happy to be here. And you have such an interesting history. I mean, you've done so much, not only working in comics, you worked in film and TV. Now you run around the world going to conventions, managing other creators. Like, what a, an amazing life and career you've had. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's It's been interesting. I always say that on my tombstone, I'm going to say, thanks for inviting me. I've had a wonderful time. <laughs> Well, yes. And as long as you're having a good time in the craziness of it all. So but let's let's start back at the beginning. Um, Can you talk a little bit about like, what drew you to wanting to work in comics? Sure, absolutely. Um, I always was drawn to storytelling. Even when I was a young kid, I would stay up late at night when my parents thought I was asleep and turn the volume really low to watch the midnight movies or you know, any old movie that I could watch because I didn't know how to articulate it at the time, but I loved the stories. And as I got older, I was, you know, I drew a lot when I was a young kid too, just like, you know, many kids. But my talent ended up being funneled more towards writing. What I started pursuing in high school and junior high even was uh, journalism. Well, what was the thing that made you walk through the door to Marvel? I was pretty young. Um, I was in my early 20s and I had already moved from Texarkana to Dallas. And I had been at the Dallas Fantasy Fair for two years. It just, there was never a thought in my mind that said, don't do it. It was always like, you're going to do this. And, you know, it's just everything fell into place meeting the right people, having the right interviews, someone willing to take a chance on me. What office did you join at at Marvel? What books were you working on? I had. Friends that worked at Marvel and friends that I would hang out with, like Sally Krupp. And he told me about an, off, an opening in the Silver Surfer office with Craig Anderson. So I applied for it and Craig hired me right away. And I just decided to make the jump to Marvel. And I, once again, I think it was the right move for me because working at Marvel at that time was like being in a family. You felt like you were a, a part of a community. I started out on the Silver Surfer books and Conan the Barbarian and uh, Thanos Quest and Guardians of the Galaxy. So those were the first books I worked on over there. Well, okay. So She-Hulk. Let's talk about She-Hulk. Okay. How did you get that book? The way that I started working on She-Hulk is actually that John Byrne asked for me. So he was looking for a new editor on the book. I knew John. And... uh, Back then, a lot of artists lived in Connecticut, and we would sometimes, like once a month, get together at John's house to play volleyball. So he knew me. We would, you know, bounce story ideas around, and uh, it was just always hilarious. And then he started drawing me in the book as a character. And the funny thing about that, which people probably don't realize, is that I never knew when he was going to do it. You know, he would send me a plot where I was not in the plot. And then all of a sudden he would draw the pages and I would get it like right before the book was supposed to go to press or, or whatever. And there I am as a, as a character. And uh, it's like, oh, John, thanks. But he made me look good. So that was all right. And uh, it was really funny, too. I always laugh when I look at it now because he gave me this huge palatial office in the books with people bringing me coffee on a tray. And if only it were that way. You know? <laughs> I didn't have a corner penthouse office, guys. Marie Javins and I were in what we like to call the dungeon 
because it was this little block, interior block with no windows, three offices on a lower floor. So no one even came down there. If anyone from the upper floors ever came down there, we were shocked. It's like, what? (laughs) It's like, you knew we were down here? Uh, I mean, it was so remote that we even had a pet rat in our office named Cleo. And uh, she was awesome. And uh, she was a Japanese hooded rat. And no one knew we had a rat down there. And... (laughs) This is is such a true Marvel story. Every element about this. (laughs) One time in, in like three years, I remember Tom DeFalco coming down there and we were like shocked. We're going, oh my God, Tom knows where we are. (laughs) (laughs) So had you read She-Hulk before John suggested you on the book? No, I had not. I mean, of course I knew about it, but as an editor and you're editing eight to 10 books a month, you're concentrating kind of on your own thing and your own books and reading other books when you have time. So I had not read that many of the She-Hulk books. But, you know, it was very easy to get up to speed. John is such a, was, you know, such a professional to work with. And, you know, I'm sure I learned a great deal from him, too. And, I mean, you worked on that book for a very long time with John. Yeah. I forget how many years, but we we had quite a thing going on there, quite a rapport working on that book and and a really good fan following, too. And I really think John was the first one to sort of break that wall where the character was talking to the audience. And, you know, other characters did it later, like Deadpool, but John is really the one that honed that and made it something that other people emulated later. She-Hulk, Jennifer's always been like a much more real-feeling hero, right? Because she has a a real job. Yeah, and she owns who she is. You know, somebody might look at the green skin as a flaw, but she embraced it. Uh, And she was a strong, beautiful, confident woman, but still with issues that she needed to, you know, embrace in her life. And, and, but, you know, she knew who she was. That's one thing I really loved about that character and, and why I thought it was important for not only, you know, girl readers, but guy readers too. I mean, it was for everybody to present this really strong, confident woman who, you know, yeah, she was beautiful, but that's not what the stories were about, you know, and that's not how she presented herself. I I liked what we did in that book, you know, and I'll, I'll always be proud of it because I think it was, you know, I think we had, you know, a pretty good role model in She-Hulk. So, I mean, I know that John really drove the storyline, but did you ever give him suggestions? Was it something where like, you would you would check in with him once a month and he would tell you what was happening or like oh, what was yeah. that process? Well, John and I talked on the phone almost every day. And we would always discuss storylines and plots and ideas that we could do. I would often suggest jokes or vignettes. And John had a very clear vision for that book. But much to his credit, he very much brought me in as a sounding board, um, a collaborator, yeah, we worked very closely on it. You know, it is mostly John's vision, but I, I I, do feel I had, you know, every now and then some good input on it. And But we worked, we did work very closely and we talked on the phone almost every day. Speaking of like breaking the fourth wall, I mean, like, 
what what was your like reaction? What was the fans' reactions when they would like see you come to life on with this pet house office? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the cowboy boots were at, were were true. I did wear cowboy boots all the time, and and with my dresses. And so when John drew me with that, it's true. And then he drew he drew me in a Chinese dress one time, and that's because I did have a dress like that because I just come back from Hong Kong, and uh, so he put that in there. So. The clothes were very accurate. It's just that the the office was not accurate. Uh, the fans loved it, and you know, even you know, it shows. That's those are the books, the She Hulk books that they have me sign the most. Obviously, are the one with me on the cover, and then there's several where I'm um, in the interior, and those are the books that far I get far more of those than any of the other books because they're like, oh, you know, you're like one of the only editors who's actually also a comic book character. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, it's for so many editors, it's like, I was drawn into this one panel in the background and I don't speak any words. Like, that's me. I have like this one random panel I'm in in like uh, an issue of uh, Declan Shelby drove me into a comic once. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I should be in the next Marvel Universe handbook because I am a character. <laughs> I will pitch that. I will pitch that. I believe it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's also interesting because She-Hulk, obviously, you know, She-Hulk was recreated in the in the early '80s and really came to life in on the on the John Byrne run in a time where women were really becoming a force in the workplace. Sure. Like, did you sort of see a reflection of the culture as more women came into the office? Yes, you know, when when I first started working in comics, there were not really that many women working in the industry. There were a handful at DC when I was there. There were maybe a few more when I got to Marvel. But uh, I think there was only one other female assistant editor. Um, no, there were two. There was Marie and then there was Sarah Mazoff. And there were a few Marvel female editors, Bobby Chase. Joe Duffy was before me. And Louise Simonson was before me, so I never worked with them. So you're talking just like a handful of people in editorial. Now you had more in marketing. You know, we didn't see those people on a daily basis. You know, it wasn't part of our core on on that floor where we were uh, with our offices surrounding the bullpen. So, yeah, as things progressed, you did start to see more and more women come into the industry. And also at conventions, when you know, when I first started doing shows, there were hardly any women. And uh, then you know, it, it started branching out and more people started discovering comics. More people started getting involved. And female artists, too. Um, and writers. I mean, you know, I, I brought in um, several, like Trina Robbins. I brought her in as a writer. And now she's really, she really took that and ran with it and did so many things after after that. And Amanda Connor. You know, we got her involved on um, well, when I was at Tops on Xena, and I think I worked with her on some things before that as well. But, you know, women started coming in. And as far as She-Hulk being part of that whole movement, you know, I do think that she was probably a great starter comic for a lot of girls that decided to get into comics because... You know, she was sexy, but we didn't try to sexualize her. And she was strong and she could hold her own with anybody. And even when we did do something 
that was kind of sexy in the book, it was always in a very playful and joking way. But, you know, we always tried to make it kid-friendly, always. And that's always something I try to do is whatever I do, I want it to be accessible to to all age groups. I want there to be something, I want it to have layers. I want there to be something there for kids, also something there for adults. But, you know, everybody can read it and enjoy it. If you can put that together, if you can create that alchemy, then you've created something special. And I've always thought that John created something special with She-Hulk. I mean, when I look back at those comics, she's such a strong, independent woman, which, you know, there weren't that many at the time. And and I just love that she's a strong, like, when we say strong, she's physically strong, which I think is important. Yes. And she's proud of it. Yeah, she's proud of it. She doesn't make any apologies for who she is. And like I said, some people might, you know, if in, in real life you had green skin, you might have looked at that as like a detriment, but she never does. You know, she's also strong in her beliefs and like I said, who she is. So she's strong mentally as well as physically. The first female character I've worked on, other than some of the Guardians of the Galaxy characters, I would... um in the Silver Surfer office was Craig Anderson put me in charge of all the Conan books. So I was editing Conan Saga. I was editing Savage Sword of Conan. And I tried to add more Red Sonia stuff into that because even though she's wearing this kind of, you know, if you were a warrior princess, would you really wear a chainmail bikini? Probably not. I know it's not very um, practical. <laughs> it's been practical and probably really cold, but, um, <laughs> You're not covering up your vitals, you know, it's like you're still leaving your, your stomach completely open to a sword thrust. But anyway, um, not necessarily the costume that we would have designed if we were designing the costume, but she was still a strong character and held her own. And that was a whole different universe, whole different set of circumstances. But I like to try to do stories with her, even at that time where she was holding her own and she was in some ways kind of like She-Hulk, but more brutal <laughs> and less close. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely love clothes and a sword. <laughs> yeah. And a sword. Yeah. She did have a sword. So in other words, she was nothing like She-Hulk. What am I saying? <laughs> I mean, she's, is she, Red Sonia is also interesting. Cause like, oh, well, maybe closer to Zeta. <laughs> Yeah, she is closer to Xena for sure. But it was still some time before I worked on Xena. I was at Marvel for five or six years, and then I went over to Tops, and that's when I started working on Xena and Hercules and Jurassic Park. So that was still down the road. Well, basically, my question sort of is just like tying to, you know, you worked on She-Hulk for a very pivotal period of time right. in the development of her as a character. And, you know, now it's been, now she's continued to develop. I mean, sort of what is it? Look, what is it for you to sort of see her evolve and change and adapt, but still have that core character that, you know, you worked on? Every character, when a new writer takes it on, is going to change. And it's going to change for the times that that character is in. Uh, you know, a way a character was written 40 years ago may not be the way that a character is written now, because as society, we change and we grow. And you know, the characters also change and grow because the people working on them 
you know, become the voice for that character. Now, a good writer is still going to keep that essential personality of that character there and just have it, you know, that character relate to, you know, what is going on in their decade or their year. I think it's appropriate that a character grows and changes. Otherwise, it becomes static and dies. So every character out there should grow and change. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with with reading comics that make you smile. And that's like the perfect way to like end this interview. I mean, Renee, this has been so incredible. I always love talking to you. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Judy. <laughs> it's nice talking to you. Okay, so if you want to check out the issue that features Renee's epic office, even with like a butler bringing her a cocktail, I love that. You can check out Sensational She-Hulk number 41 on Marvel Unlimited. You know, one of the things that I love, 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 love about getting to be a host at Marvel is that we get to hear from these absolute legends like these incredible creators who have made such an impact on comics but also have this deep love for the stories they were telling yeah renee talks about the fact that she hulk was a strong beautiful confident woman who still had imperfections and that's what makes a character so interesting is that you need those imperfections to kind of counterbalance how strong and amazing and powerful she is Totally. And she knew who she was. And Renee really thought that self-confidence was important for readers, especially in a time uh, in the 90s where comics weren't necessarily being made for young women. Here was this incredible, strong and confident, sometimes green woman uh, who could be a role model in their lives. We've talked this season about characters becoming more relatable because our lives change, right? We go through experiences. You know, we're not the same people we were in high school that we were in college. And we're not definitely not the same people we were in college now. And with that, even the stories we loved hit us a little differently. But also how we relate to those characters and their evolving stories hit a little differently. And I think that's so true with Jen Walters with She-Hulk. Yeah. So now we're going to flash forward to the current time with She-Hulk. And in her current run, writer Rainbow Rowell shows Jennifer Walters at another point of reinvention. You know, she's starting over again. And her days with the Avengers are behind her. You know, she's she's back to practicing law. She wants to reconnect with her friends. She's really looking for a new way of life. And Rainbow writes for all readers, including, you know, young adults. Um, you may have read her uh, YA novels like Eleanor and Park. Or you may recognize her from her most recent Marvel series, The Runaways. Hi, Rainbow. Welcome back to the podcast. It's good to see you. Runaways is is definitely an entry point book for a lot of uh, non comics readers and fans. Yeah, now, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's definitely like one of those books because it's not necessarily about the big the big heroes, and also there's a diversity within that team. Yeah, there always has been. It's always been a very diverse as far as gender, sexuality, race. It it was built that way, and in an, it's just very organic. 
Yeah. And I feel like She-Hulk is almost a little similar to that. Obviously, she is a hero, but her stories are sort of like their own sort of like separate universe. But okay, before we get into your book, how did you come to write She-Hulk? She-Hulk was on, I have like a very short list of characters I'd like to write. And She-Hulk was on that list. She-Hulk is my favorite Marvel woman. I think that I may have read a couple of the John Byrne ones as a kid. Then when I was reading in my X-Men phase, I picked up the She-Hulk because I just liked her that Dan Slott wrote. And then I became mm, yeah. a big Dan Slott fan by reading that She-Hulk. I thought it, I still think it's one of the best runs of comics I've ever read. Just, I could go on and on about it. So I picked that up and I just fell hard for She-Hulk. And then after that, I would be like, I would just read She-Hulk, like wherever She-Hulk showed up. So then I read like, um, just, you know, I've read the Charles Sewell. I, I read Peter David's She-Hulk. I've read Mariko's um, She-Hulk. So I, I, I've just always really liked her. She was on my list, but she's been locked up with the Avengers for a while. So I got to write her for the, what was it, like Marvel's Thousandth Issue? Do you remember this thing? It was like a special like two years ago. Um, Yeah, you're right. That's Marvel Comics number 1000. Chris Anka and I did a, and Matt did a She-Hulk page and that was fun. So yeah, basically I was always just like when Nick would go, Hey, do you want to write this? I'd be like, oh, no, but I do want to write She-Hulk. He'd be like, oh, you can't write She-Hulk. She's taken. She's taken. She's on a big thing with the Avengers. <laughs> and so I'd been really begging for it for a long time, begging for that book. So I, I got a chance. <laughs> yeah. Also with Jen Bartel covers, which are like Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. Wow. The Jen Bartel covers are amazing. Um, they're perfect. It, I had a really specific thing in mind for She-Hulk. You know, she's been all over the pr- place, as every Marvel character has. So I had a really specific vision in my mind of where She-Hulk is now. And I was like getting ready to, you know, try to tell Jen, right? Like, oh, this is going to take three hours. I'm going to like tell her. And instead what happened was Jen just basically sent me a couple of her favorite She-Hulk over time and then a couple of sketches and was like, this is what I'm thinking. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's totally it. I don't need to tell you anything. (laughs) That's exactly it. It's like you went into my brain and you plucked her out of there. There's something about Jennifer. There's something about She-Hulk that really like I think brings a lot of people into comics. I mean, if you just think of the writers who have written her over the years, I mean, you mentioned right. Dan Slott, you mentioned Mariko Tamaki, like right. what is it about She-Hulk that, that you like that you think other people like? I think everyone is in love with She-Hulk. Like I think everyone who works on her, like who loves her, I think that it's, she's just a character people like deeply fall in love with. She should be a bad character is something that I always think about because she wasn't, she had didn't have any sort of great beginning. She's literally just Hulk, but a girl, right? That's the whole thing. And that sounds so terrible. And her name is even kind of terrible, I think, you know? And yet, she's the best. And I think it's because she's so joyful. And I haven't always been drawn to joyful characters. I'm often drawn to very angsty characters. Like Chris Anka would say that he has never drawn so many crying people as when he did <laughs> the runaways because I've always got so many crying. She's joyful. She loves she loves her mutation. She loves what she's become. Um, she embraces it. And I think that is the core. She's super funny too. And she's consistently funny. Sometimes characters are only funny. They just sort of accidentally funny when a funny person is writing them. But She-Hulk has had this sense of humor, not since the very beginning, but definitely since sensational She-Hulk, since John Byrne wrote her. And it's almost like when a writer is writing like 10 characters at once and they have a funny line, the first person they give the line to is Peter Parker. And then if they have two funny lines, the second funny line goes to She-Hulk. She's been in every event. She's been in every team. She's also really 
very warm as a character. So she's been written as everyone's friend. And she's been written also as someone, um, she's a little bit of a Captain America character where you believe that she wants to be a hero. She does not have to be She-Hulk. Some people would transform and never do it again. They'd be so, they would hate it, but she chooses it. It hasn't been thrust upon her. She continues to choose it. She was a lawyer already, so she's someone who cares about justice. So there's something like like a breath of fresh air whenever She-Hulk is on the page. I mean, I think the one thing that sort of brought when I like first started reading comics, She-Hulk, I love that she was a lawyer. Yeah. Here is a character that like a female character created in Marvel where sometimes their origin stories are not so nice to them. Mm-hmm. But here she is. She's like an intelligent woman. She's written as an intelligent woman. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't lose her intelligence when she she hulks out either, which which I like about her. I like because it's so different from her cousin. Yeah, she still she yeah. still practices law. That's the other great thing about her, right? She's not like, oh, I was a lawyer in my past life. She's always trying to get back on the job. Yeah. She's had like a rough couple of years, you know, when you were given the book. What did you want to bring? What story did you want to bring to this ongoing? Right. Well, when, whenever you step in with a Marvel character, they have been through 30 years of you know, nuttiness, you know, it's ups and downs. And (laughs) like I'm surrounded actually by um, giant post-it notes. And I would just make lists of like what, if you love She-Hulk, what do you love about her? And what sort of She-Hulk stories do you love the most? And when is she at her best? When when is she at her most interesting? And I thought, for me, she's at her best when she gets to be funny and when she gets to be smart. I love her when she's a lawyer. I want her grounded a little bit. So I like writing characters who are walking on the earth. And dealing with Earth problems and being superheroes or being magical, but still having Earth problems. And I also, I did, I read every She-Hulk appearance. Like I just went through and read them all, which is a lot. Um, That is a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You can go back to her origins. She's always looking for a place to live. It's very funny to me how many times she has no place to live and she's got to like start over. And it's almost always the wasp who's helping her in these situations. So so I thought, let's take her right back there. Um, let's, you know, She-Hulk has got to find an apartment. She's got to find a job. Okay, Judy, let's talk about this. She-Hulk doesn't really have a strong supporting cast as a character. Yeah, she's, it's like a revolving door of friends coming absolutely. in and out. Yeah. Absolutely. So every run has different casts. And she doesn't have, like, a Mary Jane. She also doesn't have any villains. She pretty much only fights the Hulk's villains. So if you reach every She-Hulk, you're just going to find her fighting like the Hulk is villains are accidentally fighting her or she's writing Fantastic Four villains. The only thing she has is Titania, who is not that scary or interesting. <laughs> I mean, she's interesting, but she's not like powerful. Let's try to like pretend that she has a regular cast and bring them in and go, who are the people that the readers have always loved? So I, I always loved Awesome Andy from the Dan Slot run. I wanted to see Awesome Andy again, so I was able to bring him back. I'm pretty sure that that's not a spoiler. Mallory Book, I thought was a great character. Patsy, I thought especially Charles and Mariko had really put Hellcat, kind of positioned her as Jen's best friend. And I thought that was a great decision on their part. So I, you know, was like, let's get Patsy. Um, So that was was, uh, one thing that I wanted to do. Kind of like make it feel like a sort of classic vibe, even if actually we're doing something that hasn't been done before. Can we make it feel like a classic feeling? Yeah. You talked a little bit about why you brought Wasp, why you brought Janet back, but like, how did you sort of want to bring their friendship together? Because like Janet's such an interesting character in her own way because she's one of the first heroes right. that were was created. 
if you look back at She-Hulk's history, she's been in every book, every team. Jen Walters has been there when everything goes down. She's usually not a key player. She's often collateral damage because she's someone who, if she gets hurt, people care, but it doesn't really hurt the story. It's like, oh, she hooks in a coma. That's really sad, but it doesn't affect the plot at all. <laughs> um, so she's this like chronic B-lister. And, and what that means for her is that she knows everyone, everyone, and she's always there to help. So often it's like, we need a lawyer. Oh, great. Jen's here. She's going to be the lawyer. Again, she's not going to have any role in this story. She's going to stand there. But she's there, and it's like, my best friend Jen's here, or I go way back with Jen Walters. She'll come. So then her continuity becomes that she just knows everyone. Everybody owes her a favor. She gets invited every Marvel bachelorette party, right? So also then her continuity becomes she's kind of a good time girl. Also, for some reason, someone decided that Jen Walters would be the only woman in the Marvel Universe who has sex and is happy about it. Um it's true. She's <laughs> Yes, it is true. You're right. Who else? She's very like free. She's very like free in herself. So she becomes this very like sexually like what's the word? I'm like confident and like centered person, which doesn't exist. Who else is like that in the in the Marvel universe? Like you, the creator, can then go, Oh yeah, no, I'm gonna act like she's still great friends with the Wasp, even though maybe we haven't seen her on the page with the Wasp since nineteen ninety. Let's just keep that going. And then you get to think about Jenna's kind of like everybody's friend but nobody's her friend like in her own book she's been kind of lonely but she always shows up in other people's books so it's like let's get a little bit of that flowing the other way like let's get those characters showing up for her and being as good of a friend to her as she's been to them and in, in their books let's talk a little bit about jack of hearts mm. hello what made you want to hello what made you want to bring him into the series <laughs> um so i needed a love interest judy Jack just really presented himself as a character who I find appealing and interesting and who is an, a rare, like, Jack's continuity in history in Marvel is so short compared to most characters. Normally, a, a Marvel character would take up a whole book trying to explain where they've been. Jack has got nothing, really. He's died a few times, but eh, other than that. That's typical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, typical. That's typical of the Marvel universe. It's kind of all he's done, frankly. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he, it's like he's he's a kind of a blank slate. He's sort of like the flip side of She-Hulk, who maybe didn't have an interesting beginning, but is so completely beloved, right? And we can hardly even explain why we love her so much. Jack's the opposite. He should have been an interesting character, but he never took hold. He just never took hold. Nobody ever cared about him. So it's like you're taking this character who everyone loves and who has so much self-confidence and so much, you know, just oomph, and, you're ta- and then aligning her with a character who just has had only power but no charisma and getting them together so it's a fun dynamic for me yeah can you uh, so only issue three is out yeah uh issue four comes out june 29th which is in a few weeks but like can you tease a little bit more about the romance (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) i'm laughing because i still find it kind of a silly romance even though i'm i'm on board completely i ship them wholeheartedly and again, I feel like I'm spoiling it, but you're right. We've seen them like gazing at each other on the cover already, so it's it's happening. I mean, of course, Jed Bartel drew them. Like, it's so good, so it's, romantic, it's so good. It's yes. so cute. And speaking of Jen Bartel, can you talk a little bit about the other creators on the book? Well, we started with um, it was Roger Antonio, 
and um, he's the, uh, the the artist on the book. And um, he was with us for about two and a half issues. And then we switched to Luca Maresca. And it's interesting because they're both really, really good, but they have very different styles. And um, Jen has the most wonderful hair I've ever seen. I'm like, yes, it's, it's yes. like, so just like really fantastic ponytails. And now we it's Luca Maresca. And he's also got a really cool and very distinct style. And we've got Rico Renzi has been on since issue one for color. We're all really trying to bring Jen back to a classic place, right? To It's one of those things where you're kind of trying to, to bring someone back to maybe something that doesn't exist for real. It's like a nostalgic feeling. So maybe maybe this version of Jen isn't a Jen that actually existed, but it's like if you were to roll up all of your classic E feelings about Jen, where would you land? And so his colors are very like... Um, well, she's bright green. And so <laughs> t- t- he really fills her in with all these complementary colors. So the whole book has a little bit more of a primary feel and she's a little poppy. It's very poppy. And I'm working with Joe Caramagna again on letters. Joe did all of the Runaways letters. Okay, so issue three is issue out three. now. Okay. Everyone should go pick it up. Yep. Issue four comes out June 29th. Please go pre-order. Go to your local comic shops. Call them. Go online. Pick it up digitally. But like, what can you tease a little bit as we get closer? Maybe something about the villain. What's happening? Sure. Um. Basically, the situation with Jack gets more complicated. The real question with Jack is he's supposed to be dead. So if he's supposed to be dead, why is he here? Why are his powers a little different? Who brought him back? We meet a few characters, some of whom might be involved in Jack coming back, but it's really unclear how and and really what does all, all of that mean for She-Hulk. She's on thin ice at work. She's been working for Mallory Book, as who, is, who is her nemesis. So she's got to keep showing up at work, even though things are getting very, very complicated for her at home. And she promised Mallory that she wouldn't work with other super characters, with anyone with powers. And yet the only people who want to hire her are people with powers. So she's like got all these new clients, but they're all other Marvel here universe characters. And she's trying to keep that, you know, on the down low with Mallory. And then she's she's also got this complication with Jack. She's really keeping secrets for a lot of people right now. There you go. Okay. Make sure you go pre-order it. Please pre-order Pick it. Up. Go to your comic book store. Add it to your pull list. Um. Well, Rainbow, this has been so. I mean, I always love talking to you. This is so great. Good to see I'm so you. So happy that you're. Uh, you you you've come from Runaways to another interesting character. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. As a lawyer, okay, I have to say, you know, one of the things I've always loved about Jen Walters is that she's balanced this life as a lawyer over these years. And it's always been like this other side to being both smart and strong. And this version of She-Hulk, you know, just continues on that, right? Because we've had party girl She-Hulk. We've had grieving She-Hulk. But, you know, having a She-Hulk that like, Walks in and just kind of does her thing um, with that law degree that probably cost her a lot of money in uh, <laughs> Marvel Universe dollars. It just it does it does my heart good. I think it's really nice at this moment in Jen's life to see her kind of get back to the sense of herself and who she is after kind of losing herself a little bit at times over the last few years and figuring out who she is now in this new status quo. The one thing you mentioned a little bit early, Ellie, is that she has a great sense of humor. And it's also one of the things I love about Rainbow's writing in general is that sometimes you kind of have to stop, think for a second and go, that was really funny. 
Um, but with Jen, it's like it's so smart, it's so well written, and there's a nuance to it. You know, I I I have to I have to shout that out on continuing that track record with She Hulk and with Jen, and just knowing she's smart, she's sassy, but she's funny. In Rainbow's Run, you know, she's really kept what's true about the character from the past, you know, looking back to Mariko Tamaki and John Byrne's runs and everyone in between to now writing her in this new, fresh way. And Jen is still smart. She's still funny. She's still strong. You know, she knows who she is and who her friends are. And it's so much fun. I hope everyone who's reading it is enjoying it. And the absolutely stunning cover art by Jen Partell on this series. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love Jen's work so much. Perfection. But before we go, let's hear from another sensational Marvel woman in our staff spotlight. My name is Marika Hashimoto, and I'm an associate editor of digital media here at Marvel. So being an editor means that I work on a variety of web pages uh, for Marvel.com. Um, so you'll find me working on landing pages for movies, TV, games, um, as well as character profile pages. I also sometimes work on articles, um, which are mostly games and comics focused for me. So I actually started in publishing as a library intern. So I was cataloging comic books and maintaining the in-house archive. It used to be a very tiny room um, that was packed with uh, file cabinets full of amazing historical comic books. And definitely when I was cataloging each week, there's always like a sneak peek into each one. Um, so that was a kind of a perk of the job. And from there, I became a digital coordinator when Marvel was relaunching our website. And soon after that, I was lucky enough to join the editorial team. I grew up reading more manga than comics, but I got really into Marvel when I started borrowing comic books from the public library. Um, and then eventually I wanted to own my own collection at home. There were like books by Mike Deodato and Greg Pak, and those were definitely ones that I wanted to own. And then I also really liked Artists Alley at New York Comic Con, um, and then getting to meet artists there like Larry Hama and Jen Bartel, uh, Rochelle Rosenberg were really big highlights for me. That's how I got into Marvel. My favorite Marvel character is a female Marvel character. Um, she is Laura Kinney, uh, formerly known as X-23, now Wolverine. So she was cloned and trained to be an assassin from birth, but tries very hard to find her own moral compass. And despite being a clone, she tries to forge her own identity as the new Wolverine. And I also happen to think she has her own great sense of humor that's very dry and uh, subtly endearing. I'd love Women of Marvel listeners to know that we're a growing sphere of influence. Um, so that means not only are we connecting as fellow fans and creators, but we're constantly looking for ways to uplift each other. And it once felt like being in a minority, but that's ever evolving and progressing. So for example, I'm very proud to work on an all-women editorial team, uh, which by the way kicks ass. And I think we're each here because we love what we do. So it's really fun every day and um, really rewarding. Marika works on an all-woman editorial team. Uh, we just really want to say that out loud like many times because it really bears repeating. Judy, thank you for saying that because our editorial team, particularly that editorial team that works with digital, that is working with essays and freelance writers and covering the TV shows and the movies and all of this, 
big shout out to her and Robin and Christine Din because if you've ever read the Marvel's Voices anything or the Women of Marvel anything or asked and answered anything on the website, uh, Marika and Robin and Christine and the whole team have all worked very, very hard to make sure we sound very, very smart in writing online. And it's it's pretty incredible the work they do. And they're good humans even besides that. So the, the endless story of this podcast is there are incredible and sensational women behind the scenes doing amazing work to make us all sound great. I am so glad we're doing these staff spotlights this season so that we're getting a chance to, dare I say, spotlight some of these women who we don't get a chance to interview on the podcast as much. And, you know, the more people get to see all of the different jobs that go into making Marvel stuff, the more possibilities they know are out there for their own careers. Yeah, so make sure you guys are following whoever's on the internet, liking them, liking their stuff on the internet, share it. Uh, We'll be back next week with even more uh, spotlights. But until then, Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McKirk-Allison, Ellie Pyle, me, Judy Stevens, and Anjali Crochet. Our senior manager of audio development is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen, and our executive producer is Jill Dubois. Listen weekly on SiriusXM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is Marvel, your universe.